0: this is it, everybody. This is our last week in the series that we have been calling Letters for Exiles, in which we have been looking at the letters of First and 2 Peter and seeing how this ancient wisdom actually applies to our modern times. In 1 Peter, Peter was really talking about how we as God's people, we as the church, are called to relate to and interact with the wider world. And in 2 Peter, what we found is that Peter becomes a little bit more introspective. He starts talking about how we become those kinds of people, how we become the kind of people who reflect Jesus to the people around us. And as we come into this last week, we're going to look at kind of his final words to the church, words which help them to focus once more on the reason why we're here. But before we dive into the message, I think it's only right that we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message that he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray together with me? Uh, Let's take a moment to pray. Lord God, we give you thanks that you have indeed gathered us together as your people, that we might learn from you what it means to truly look, live, and love more like Jesus that we might hear once more from your word how we can become the kinds of people who represent you well to the world around us. And so, Lord, we pray that if there's anything in our hearts and our minds that would get in the way of us hearing the message that you have for us today, Lord, that you would remove those barriers, that you would knock down those walls. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. Oh, God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So a couple of years ago, I came across a sermon by the noted British pastor, Stuart Briscoe, in which he was actually sharing moments in his life which left a lasting impact on him. And there was one story in particular that as I thought about this weekend, felt it was particularly poignant. He was talking about how when he was younger, just starting out in ministry, he and his wife would spend time going into all these coffee bars in England to try and reach the younger generations. One of the things that he was noting was that as he looked at his churches and then the churches that he was participating in is how the church was growing older and and no longer was seeing kind of the younger crowd showing up anymore. And and so he started to ask the question, well, where are they? Where are they hanging out? And the answer at that time was they were in coffee bars. That's where all the musicians would go to play their music. Uh, That's where their friends would show up to listen. And so Stuart started to say, well, what if, what if that's my congregation? And he started just showing up at these coffee bars and engaging in conversation. And the thing that he heard over and over again from the young people who were there is they said this, they said, if you want to talk to us about Jesus, we will listen to you all night. But if you want to talk to us about the church, forget it. And so that was his goal. He would go into these places and he would just spend time talking with them about Jesus. But there was one Uh, encounter in particular that he says really stood out, one that has continued to stick with him over the years. And it was one night he he went into this coffee bar and, and he actually, as he was walking in, literally tripped over a couple that was like lying on the floor. And, and he started to talk to them about Jesus. He started to talk to them about the love that God had for them and the purposes that God has for their lives. And, and what it means to know not only that they are loved and saved, but that they are called to something so much greater, a life truly worth living. But this is the moment that really stood out as he kind of got to the end of of his talk. That same young man that he tripped over stood up and confronted him. And that young man said this. He says, you don't believe a word of what you just said. And Stuart was like, what do you mean? I don't believe. He's like, you don't believe a word of what you just said. And, And here's what the young man went on to say. He said, what you have told us tonight is the most wonderful thing that I have ever heard. But if people like you really believed it, you would have been down here long before tonight telling us about Jesus. The problem with people like you is that you don't really believe what you believe. The problem with people like you is that you don't really believe what you believe. Stuart said that he's, he's never recovered from that encounter. He said it, it changed the entire trajectory of his life. He was so moved by that encounter that he ended up actually leaving his full-time job in banking and ending up in full-time ministry. And as I reflect on that story for a moment, I can't help but wonder if we, like Stuart, have forgotten something. Here's what I mean. When I look at the book of Acts, and the stories of the early church, the church that Peter himself was a part of, a church that he was a leader in. I see these stories about how he would get up to preach and thousands of people would come to faith. I see stories about Christians taking risks and going into places that polite religious people wouldn't go into for the sake of reaching lost people and watching lives transformed. I I think about The the droves of people numbering in the millions in countries like India and China, places that are increasingly becoming closed to the organized church, and yet are seeing millions of people each year coming to faith in Jesus. And then I think of our ministry here, not just Trinity's ministry, but the church's ministry in places like America, and I'm wondering, why don't we see that? And I have to wonder if maybe it's because we've forgotten something. Which is why I love that there's really only two commands in our last uh, passage from 2 Peter for this weekend. And the first command from Peter is to not forget. Here's what he says. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, That with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. He says, I don't want you to overlook something. I don't want you to forget something. I don't want you to forget that Jesus is coming back. And the reason I think Peter wants that to be the thing that we remember is, he says, because when you remember that, it lends a sense of purpose and urgency, which just can't be ignored. And there are dangers in forgetting In fact, I think that there are two things that we often forget when we think about the coming of Jesus. First and foremost, we forget about the certainty of Jesus' return. And the second thing that we forget about is we forget about God's heart for the lost people in the waiting. I'll say that again. We forget two things. We forget about the certainty of Jesus' return, and we forget about God's heart for the lost in the waiting. And these are two things that Peter actually addresses in this passage. First thing that he says is actually found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. He talks about how in the waiting, sometimes we forget that it's a certain thing. And, and, he, and he talks about how there are going to be those who come along who kind of cast doubt on it. And in verse 4, he says, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact That the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Basically what Peter is saying is he's saying sometimes in the waiting, the waiting for Jesus' return, we get so exhausted of the waiting that we forget that it's a certain thing. That just as God's word was so powerful that it actually created the heavens and the earth and everything that we see, so that when God says he is coming back, that is rock solid truth. But when we forget that, it's very, very easy to fall into cynicism and despair. That's really the tone of voice that we hear in these detractors that Peter is referencing. They're basically saying, he's not coming back. Look, Look at the world around us. Everything is just kind of marching along as it always has. And the reason why we fall into this is because sometimes the brokenness of the world is so overwhelming. We say that we have a God who loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And yet we look around and we read the news and we look at our world uh, at our news feeds and we see just a world that just seems to be breaking apart at the seams. And we say, where is a good and loving God in all of that? is he really coming back? Or is this just some sort of nice story that we've all bought into? And the result is that it can lead to a kind of despair. It can lead us to a place where we, we give up on faith. We give up on faith and we just we stop believing that it's true. And Peter says, we need to understand that the God who spoke the very fabric of creation into reality, he doesn't go void on his word that when he says something, It happens. That's one of the beautiful things is you kind of walk through the Bible, you read these different stories, and what do we find? We find every time God speaks, something happens. God says, let there be light, and there's light. God says, let there be land and vegetation, and there is. He says, let there be sun, moon, and stars, and they appear. We see this very same thing when Jesus himself shows up, that when he's in the boat with the disciples and they're being overwhelmed by the wind and the waves and the storm on the sea, Jesus simply says, peace, be still. And the water is still and the clouds disappear. And when Jesus encounters someone who is sick and ailing, all he has to say is, be healed, stretch out your hand, be clean, and they are. We have a God that when he says something, stuff happens. We have a God that when he he speaks his word, (laughs) miracles take place. When he speaks his word, reality itself is changed. And Peter says when he promises to come back, that word is rock solid. That just as he promised that he would rise again from the dead and did, so when he says he's going to come again in glory, he will And we need to understand that that day is coming at a time when when we might not be ready for it. So don't forget. He says, Don't forget, Jesus is definitely coming back. When he does, he's going to make all things new. All that he promised will come to fruition. God will indeed take all the brokenness of our world and make it whole once more. He'll take all the things in our world, the places of darkness, and bring light. He'll bring all the sickness and disease and, and and turn it into healing and wholeness. Makes me think of a line from the Lord of the Rings that, that as you know the, the hobbits and, and the fellowship are going on this journey together and they're starting to see how, how basically this journey is leading to all the broken things being made right. Sam, uh, one of one of the characters in the fellowship, actually says, Is it possible that all of the all the bad things of the world are being made untrue. That's what Jesus is going to come and do one day. He's going to make all things whole. We forget about the certainty of Jesus' return. But there's a second thing that we forget. And we forget about God's heart for the lost in the waiting. I think sometimes when, when, we, when we land on the certainty of Jesus' return, we're like, oh boy, I can't wait. I can't wait until he comes again. I can't wait until he makes all things new. And, and, and that's okay to a certain degree. But but at the same time, I think that sometimes what we forget is what that may mean for some people. And I love how, how Peter puts it in this final chapter from 2 Peter. He says, don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See what Peter says, he says, hey, the reason it seems like God is delaying in his return is because he wants everybody to have as many opportunities as possible to come to faith. That the reason God seems to be slow by our world standards is because he loves the world. And because he understands that when he comes again, yes, he's going to make all things new. But for those who, who don't know him, for those who've, who haven't chosen to follow him, that's it. That's the end of their story. But, but God in his love says, I want them to have as much time as possible. I want them to have as much time as possible so that as many people as possible can experience the kind of new life and hope and grace and peace that only I can bring. And, and, we, and, and Peter tells the church, he's like, I don't want you to forget that that's actually what God's heart is. God's heart is for the lost. God's heart is for those who don't yet know him. God's heart is for the people who are still on the fence about Jesus. He wants them to have an opportunity to really get to know him as he is. And I think that when we forget that, one of two things can happen. We either become complacent or we get judgmental. We become complacent because we're just like, oh boy, I'm so glad that I know Jesus. Woo, I, can't, I just can't wait until he returns again. And we forget that God has called us as his people to go out into the world to share that good news with others. Because we forget what his coming again will mean if they don't yet know who Jesus is. And so we just kind of get comfortable. We don't go beyond our four walls. The church just kind of becomes this cozy little clique that's just riding out the waves until Jesus comes again. And we forget we have a mission and a calling to go into the world to bring hope, to bring new life, to bring light where there's darkness. The other temptation is when we forget God's heart for the lost is that we kind of get judgmental. We say, boy, I can't wait until Jesus comes back and then all those people who've been speaking out against God and not following his ways, well, they're really going to get theirs. And we forget that's not how God feels. Peter makes it very, very clear here. God loves those people. God loves everybody. That's why we confess what we confess from from John chapter 3.16, right? That God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the whole point of Jesus coming. And so the importance of of remembering God's heart for the lost is it lends a sense of urgency in the waiting. We have a calling as God's people to go out and to let people know about the love that God has for them through Christ. That's why we're here. That's why our mission as a church is to help more people look, live, and love more like Jesus. Now, I know all that talk about like evangelism and witnessing and sharing your faith and s- salvation and being lost, th- that can seem really, really heavy. I-, I understand that. And especially if you're a person who you yourself are kind of on the fence about Jesus, that can seem kind of like, wow, that sounds really harsh, really judgmental. Which is why I, I was so glad that a couple years ago, I came across a, a beautiful little video. I-, I think it was just shot on a cell phone from the noted comedian Penn Gillette. Uh, if you don't know who Penn is, he is uh, part one of a two-part comedic duo, uh, Penn and Teller. They're uh, kind of comedians and magicians. Uh, they, they do a lot of different shows around the world. And, and Penn has been pretty open about the fact that he's an atheist. Uh, he's gone on many different shows and podcasts and been on YouTube talking about how he doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in Jesus. He's been pretty outspoken in his atheism. But this video by Penn really stood out to me. It was after a show that he had done. Uh, he'd gotten done with performing and kind of went backstage. And, and different people from the audience had been invited to come backstage and meet with him and, and with, his, with his partner, uh, Teller, and just, uh, ex, you know, have a chance to talk with them. There was one man in particular who uh, ended up being kind of an audience participant. He was invited to, to be a part of their act. And, and so he got to come back after the show and actually meet with them. And, and this man came up to, to Penn, and he was he was very complimentary. He said, I just loved the show that you guys did. That was so much fun. You're, you're very good. I, I had just such a blast. Thank you uh, for that. And then what the man did is he reached into his pocket and he pulled out this little Gideon's New Testament. And he'd actually wrote in a note to pen inside that little Bible and he handed it to pen. And he said, uh, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm a religious person and, um, and I wanted you to have this. I felt like I I wanted to just have an opportunity to share my faith with you. And so this is, this is just my little gift to you. And what's so moving about the video is, is, is Penn actually gets a little choked up at that point. And he says, you know, what I loved about this was this man was so genuine. He was so genuine. He wasn't, he wasn't preaching at me. He wasn't judging me. He was very honest and kind and gentle and, and complimentary. And I was just very, very touched by that gift. And then this is the part of Penn's story that really stands out to me. Here's what he says. He says, I've always said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it's socially awkward, then how much do you have to hate somebody to not share your faith with them? How much Do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? You see, Penn understands something that I think we as Christians often forget. That when it comes to the mission and to sharing our faith, the most loving thing that we can do is to let people know that there's hope and new life. That the most loving thing thing that we can tell people is that there is a God who delights in them, that they are precious in his sight, that they are made in his image, that they have a purpose that is from everlasting to everlasting. And and rather than just trying to grope in the dark, hoping that they find just a hint of it, that they can have it in Jesus. That's part of the reason Jesus tells his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We forget that he said that in answer to a question. The question from the disciples is, which way do we go? The question from the disciples is how do we know the way to purpose and to eternity? How do we find the way to the Father? Where is there hope and new life? What is the road to heaven? Jesus says you don't have to worry about it or doubt about it or question it because I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you're wondering which way to go, you can find it in me. It's not about figuring out some sort of hidden truth that's only for the smart people. It's not about getting... Getting your life together so it's only for the perfect people. It's not about having all the blessings of the world so it's only for the rich and the powerful people. This is a pathway and a door that is open to everybody because I am for everybody. And Penn understood that. Have we forgotten? Peter says, don't forget. Don't forget. You have the greatest truth that the world has ever heard that God loved it so much that he actually entered into our story, that God loves us so much that he came into our world to rescue us, that rather than leaving us down here to figure it out on our own, he took on flesh, walked in our shoes, experienced our pains and our heartaches, healed our wounds, listened to our stories, died on a cross for our shortcomings, and came back to life and said, this eternity is yours. Everlasting life is yours. And if that's what you've been longing for, Jesus says, that's why I came. And Peter tells us right here in verse 8, don't overlook this one fact, beloved. Don't forget, you are called to be message bearers of that hope into the world. Which is why I love how he he ends his letter. He basically says, so live today in light of eternity. Verses 11 through 14, that's it. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. He says the broken world is going to melt away, but like gold, it's going to be refined. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth, a remade heavens and a remade earth where where all that hope and peace and new life will be yours. And so he says, so live today like that day has come. Live in light of the certainty of Jesus' return with a kind of urgency that desperately longs to help people, the people around you experience a little bit of that new life now. He says, live your life as ambassadors of Jesus today. Go into the places of this world and bring foretaste of his kingdom. Go into places where people have lost hope and bring hope. Go into places of brokenness and violence and bring peace. Go into places where there's injustice and bring his kind of justice, his kind of shalom. Be the kind of people who've been set apart as holy, who represent God to the world around you so that others can know beyond a shadow of the doubt that there is a God who loves this world and who has made all things new in Jesus, and who will one day come and heal what was broken. That's our calling. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. And so that's really our calling as we wrap up this series called Letters for Exiles is to go. To go as God's people, bringing good news where he sends us, so that the people around us might ultimately come to see him for who he is, as we live as his hands and feet in the world. Now I'm cognizant of the fact our very next series is called Confronting Christianity in which we're gonna take some of those hard questions that people often have about our faith and about Jesus and we're gonna talk about it. It's a great opportunity for, for us as the church to go out and make invitations, to invite people into the conversation to say, why don't you come and explore for yourself? And so as we wrap up the series, as we enter into the new one, I want to end with just this word of prayer and commissioning. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks that, that we know that your return is certain, that there is hope for this world because just as you came once, you will come again. And so Lord, we pray that that would give us a sense of urgency, that we wouldn't become complacent or judgmental, but that we go out into the world with the same kind of love that sent you into the world and point people to the hope that, that can only be found in you. And not just to talk about it, but to be a people who embody it. So help us not to be afraid, but to step forward each day saying, Lord, how can I bring just a little foretaste of you and your presence and your goodness and your kingdom into the places where you send me? And Lord, we pray that through that you would open doors, touch hearts, and transform lives. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.